Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the writer Dominique Morisseau. A winner of the MacArthur Genius Grant, Morisseau is the author of plays including Pipeline, Paradise Blue, and Detroit 67, and she's also been a writer and producer on the Showtime series Shameless. This season on Broadway, she has two shows. She wrote the Tony-nominated book for the Temptations musical Ain't Too Proud, which played its final performance earlier this month, while a new production of her 2016 play Skeleton Crew is now in previews at Manhattan Theatre Club's Friedman Theatre and will open January 26th. Now, Morisot is in the virtual studio with me to tell us about the complications of making theatre in the age of COVID, the surprising closing of Ain't Too Proud, the influence of August Wilson, and the good advice she got from Chadwick Boseman. Hi, Dominique. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You have had two productions on Broadway this season that have been affected by the pandemic in different ways. I wonder if we could start by having you tell us a little bit about what it's been like as a theater artist working on shows while navigating all the unpredictable turns of the last six months. Yeah, it has felt strangely like life imitating art because one of Mm. my plays, you know, one of them was a musical, Ain't Too Proud, that just closed on Broadway and is now only on tour. Yeah. Um, And that was hard. That was sad. It closed on January 16th. Uh, my musical about the temptations. Yeah, were you able to and be then, at the performance? I'm just talking to you. Just I was. a few days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I was. It was epic, emotional. It was an epic show. It was like one of those you had to be there. Mm-hmm. You never want to forget this moment in history type thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was an electric show. I mean, it was electric, but mm-hmm. it was also.
also painful. It was emotional for everybody, for audience and cast and everybody. Um, and then my other show, Skeleton Crew, uh, which is starring Felicia Rashad and um, right now is, is right around the corner from where Auntie Proud was. So like literally I was on, Auntie Proud is on two streets because it's the front and the back. So the front of it is on 45th, the back of it is on 46th. And uh, Skeleton Crew was on 47. So Detroit was basically holding up three blocks in 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 Broadway uh, over the last couple of uh, months. But but Skeleton Crew is about you know this very thing. It is about mm. 2008 Detroit when all the factories were closing, and you know all the small exporting plants had been you know closing down and outsourced. People were losing jobs and. Um, and so you just never knew when your factory was going to be the one shutting down or moving, shipping overseas, you know. And so there was and you were always negotiating with your union, like, you know, the, the companies wanted you to take pay cuts. That's also something that Broadway was going through. They yeah. want actors to take pay cuts. And, you know, and then the union's like, no way are the actors going to take pay cuts. You, you're the big guys with all the big money. And they go, well, I don't have as much money as that show has, you know. Right. <laughs> so it's like I've heard a lot of like rich people tell me that they don't have as much money as the other rich person. Lately, I've, I've had a lot of that going on, right. um, and uh, and I get it. You know, I mean, I, I I think I don't think they're lying. I just think that is ironic, mm-hmm. and uh, and so, but we're also so in inside of the place, skeleton crew. People are coming to work and like you know, hey, that plant closed and that plant closed, and so they go, we're the last ones, aren't we? And that's where the play begins on mm-hmm. we are the last plant to still be open and it is inevitable that our plan is going to also close and that is what so we have been quoting lines from the play like like no like never before because like it's almost like we show up at work jokingly and and quote lines like they shutting us down ain't they that's literally one of the first lines of the the first scene of the play and uh and then that's what we we feel we feel it Mm. We've been feeling it the whole time. We see this show close and that show close and we go, oh man, we we gonna have a show tomorrow? You yeah, know? Yeah. I feel I feel like for a show like Skele- a new production like Skeleton Crew, it must be a real challenge to just get into the rhythm of doing a show, you know, doing a production yeah. that is relatively new to all these actors as they're trying to figure out, you know, their characters and the rhythms and all of that. That must be a challenge. I mean, you know what it is, and also I just have a team of champions. Mm. I mean, they're they're. I can't. I could. I could cry talking mm. about the expertise of not only just my main cast, but also our follow up cast, which is our understudies, our covers. They have uh, one of our understudies was the first one to go on because my um, actress was out, mm. so uh, the, her understudy had to go on for the first week of performances. Yeah, um, and you didn't even know you didn't know who was the understudy and up there and who wasn't. Yeah, uh, so you know it's that kind of thing. But I also. Um, it has also just been they they the cast. This is the first week we just passed. Uh, this was the first week that my whole cast had been on stage together yeah. since rehearsal. Wow. Since we were in the rehearsal room, so we've been in the theater for a month, and this was the first week that that whole cast was able to be doing the show mm. together. So that was crazy. They mm. missed each other. So even though yes, it's been hard to get the rhythms and everything of the of the of the play. Um, they wanted to be together so badly, they were just electric. Yeah. They it's just like if they've been working so hard, they've been itching to get back in 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 rhythm with each other. 
Yeah. Um, and so watching that happen has been another kind of a, a magic, really. Yeah. And speaking of Ain't Too Proud, I feel like the news that Ain't Too Proud was closing was a surprise, at least to someone like me, you know, an observer who Ain't Too Proud was, uh, you know, by any measure, such a success. And it just really yeah. hit home how hard the pandemic could make things, could make, you know, sort of surviving uh on Broadway, at least right now. Was it a surprise to you as well? Yeah, just maybe a few days before it was a surprise to everybody else. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, and uh, I mean, I couldn't say that I was like shocked, you know? <laughs> I was like, mm hmm. I never, I didn't know what was going to happen because I didn't know how the pandemic was going to honestly affect any of theater. You yeah. know, I think I'm more shocked that some shows are going to, I thought all of us would tank, mm. <laughs> you know, like all of, you know, I mean, listen, when, you know, if Hamilton is the only one that could save all of us, you know, we're like, Hamilton, are you, how are you doing? Yeah. And if Hamilton isn't over the moon, then the rest of us are in big trouble, yeah. you know? Um, and so, uh, but, and I just, I've always been since this whole year, really, I've been trepidatious about coming back to New York. I was like, I don't know. Are we really going to, you know, people go, oh, you're going back for your show. And I go, ah. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. That's what I've said to everybody because, <laughs> you know, so it's always like, it's kind of ironic to me when, when uh theaters or when anyone says, well, we couldn't have foreseen this. I go, are you kidding me? I foresaw this like in January of last year, right. every, the whole year when people say, Hey, you're going back to do your show. I've sort of been like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. cause how can we, I mean, they already told us variants were coming. Like, I, I'm not like, oh my God, we could have never seen this Omicron. Yes, we could have. We could have. They told us. I've been listening to the people who know best. They mm. told us this was going to happen. So I don't. It's, I think it's this idea that somehow we're caught off guard mm. and we're shocked. It feels to me like that is a a bit of a failure of planning. Mm. You know, mm. um, because I think it is unreasonable to uh, not plan for flexibility right now. Right. You know, it's unreasonable to think that you're not going to get hit and that you're going to be able to go back to business as usual. We're so itching to brand the business as usual. We're so itching to get back to normal, which at the, after this past couple of years, I don't even know how anyone would want to go back to normal. We've been fighting against going back to normal for so long. Mm -hmm. You know, that theater is supposed to be having faces reckoning over the last couple of years and should be thinking differently. Mm. And, uh, and, and sometimes it's, you know, I know it's hard because I also run a theater. I'm on the board of some of my most beloved theaters that are also struggling. So I, I have a lot of, uh, I do have grace and mercy for just the, man, we are trying. We can't figure this thing out. Um, but there's also, some of it is, or we just have to be a little bit more courageous hmm. and brave and radical in how we're imagining the future. Mm. We're not willing to take a leap enough to have a, a radical imagination of something new. Um, and I think that we're also suffering as a collective industry from that. Mm. Yeah. W getting a chance to see Ain't Too Proud one last time on Broadway, uh, did it strike you that there is anything in particular that y you are particularly proud of? Um, Maybe not, maybe not too proud to quote the title, but that you are proud of about the work that you and your collaborators did on the show. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I'm I'm immensely proud of the work that we did. I, I watched the show, and you know, I mean, it's almost like it feels like 
like a cry to watch a show you're that proud of <laughs> on a closing <laughs> night. It, it feels really, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the labor uh, that all of these artists, whether it's our musicians, our actors, dancers, singers, just phenomenal, you know, our music director, our choreographer, our associate choreographer. I mean, they all put all their energy. Our director, my, you know, I just look at the the show Des directing. I'm like, this mm. is so good. He did such a good job, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just look at all of the talent and I know so many of the stories of that talent and how they got to our, our show. This, you know, it was a, so so many unconventional ways. I'm proud of every handprint on this show. Everybody who championed it, and this was this is what makes me really proud. Mm. I remember when I went to uh, Harlem uh, at the Apollo Theater one day because Otis Williams was getting his uh, star mm. in front of the Apollo. He was cemented, mm. you know, in front of the Apollo. And while I was there, some Harlemites, you know, came up to me. They were, you know, uh, Camilla Forbes, who is the uh, executive art producing director at the Apollo. <laughs> she pointed me out as the writer of Ain't Too Proud in front of this like Harlem crowd, you know. And I remember this woman coming to me um, and saying, that was the best show in the whole world, <laughs> you know? And, I, and she was so proud mm. of the show, you know, and what it, how, how much it invoked her memory and her, her truth, you mm. know, her historical truth and everything. And I thought, man, I, I gave something to, to my generation. I gave something to her generation, um, which was my mother's generation and my parents' generation. You know, I gave something back to their generation and I gave something new to the generation underneath me. There, there are two young men who have become like super, super fan champions of, of Ain't Too Proud. Young, young, young boys mm. um, who wrote me notes saying how much seeing reflections of themselves on the stage changed their lives. Mm. I'm proud of that. I'm so proud and I, I wanna make more, but I want that to not be a, I don't wanna be an enigma and I don't want that moment to be an enigma for them. I want it to be a sustainable truth for the rest of their lives. Mm. And, and that's the thing that I think what I am feeling in this moment of of all of these shows and so many of them, the unprecedented amount of black shows that were on Broadway this year and how many of us have taken a COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and then that's just like, so it just, it can do this thing. It could put this cloud over this moment, you know, but we can't let it be the cloud because we can't let it be a moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it has to be a, a movement. It has to be part of our future, not just a really quick glimpse into the present. You know? I'll have more with Dominique right after the break. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And now, here's more with the playwright, Dominique Morisseau. Before we talk specifically about this production of Skeleton Crew, I wonder if we could first talk a little bit about where it fits in relation to some of your other work. It's part of a trilogy of plays, the Detroit trilogy, that are three shows set in different time periods in Detroit. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about how, when you decided to sort of think like that in terms of exploring a place, this place you're from, um, in over certain eras and what prompted the project overall for you? Well, I was reading um, August Wilson's 10 play cycle. I had yep. just taken it upon myself to read all, I wanted to read all 10, you know, mm. I had read, I was familiar with many of them already growing up in theater, but um, I just, I had never read them all like back to back. I just wanted to try that, mm-hmm. you know? And as I was reading them, I think I got to about seven or eight before I got distracted, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on another project. But uh, as I was reading them back to back to back, I was like, oh my God, like, ah, uh, what the people of Pittsburgh must feel like when they read this man's work, they have to feel so seen and affirmed and, hmm. oh my God, he's like their historian. You know, and I was like, I got to do that for my city. I have to. <laughs> and there is there is a number of reasons why. But one of them is because of how much um, being from Detroit, you can hear if you talk to Shantae Adams, who is a part who's a, a cast member in Skeleton Crew right mm, now on Broadway. Yeah. She's also from Detroit. And if she and I talk, we sound like we're saying the same things, and we did not plan it, you know, but she just has the, you know, be, we both know what it's like to be from Detroit and go somewhere else and tell people we're from Detroit and their reactions are always so telling about what they think of our city and what they think of us, Mm. you know, and it's not always, sometimes it's like, Ooh, you know, and sometimes it's like, Oh, you know, but whatever it is, it's never like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Right. It's never just like, good mm-hmm. it means you have like a you carry a negative feeling somewhere inside of you around what our city is and and when you carry negative feelings about someone's city when they come out of that city that transfers onto the people themselves mm-hmm. you know and so for me it's important um for me to shift that be a, con- a contributor to shifting that narrative i wanted to tell three plays i didn't think i could get through 10. No. <laughs> I was like, thanks, August. I'll do three. Um, I'll do a third. I'll do Baby a third steps. of what you yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> Baby steps. And um, because there were three moments in, in the city's history that really struck me. And, you know, the first two, uh, Paradise Blues is set in 1949. That's when a big housing act got passed in the nation um, uh, uh, to, that eventually led to the wiping out of this Black community in Detroit right. um, in the name of urban renewal. But it was really in the name of a mayor who ran a very racist campaign um, to try to, you know, scare white residents from black residents moving into their city, you know. Yeah. Um, and and then the second one, uh, Detroit '67, was about 1967 Detroit and the, the the urban, you know, uprising that happened, very similar to now what we've seen in 2020, right. you know, um, in response to police violence and to racial profiling and um, and to disenfranchisement of the black community in Detroit, and uh, and that's you know I wanted to see that through the era of. Um, through, through through a Detroit basement party because that's what I knew my parents were doing in that time. <laughs> and I was like, I, I really want to see a Detroit basement on a stage, you know? Mm. Um, 
And so the, I was inspired by my family and my family history, you know, mm. to want to tell these stories. Paradise Blue, I had heard about Paradise Valley. I'd never seen it, you know? Mm. And so it was like wanting to resurrect those memories. But 2008, yeah. Skeleton Crew, I lived that one myself. Right. And so for me, Skeleton Crew comes out of my own witnessing of my city, of me coming home to the uh, West Side, my West Side neighborhood, where um, I where I grew up, it was a very you know upper working class neighborhood. You know, mm -hmm. it was very you know families all you know had had they were doing well. They all had jobs with pensions. You know, it was a very thriving working class um, part of town. And when I come home in two thousand eight, neighbor buildings and houses in my neighborhood were boarded up. And that was a un, that was unusual in my neighborhood. Mm. And so when I knew it was happening in my neighborhood, I was like, oh, it's definitely happening all over the rest of the city then. And I that 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 struck me to my core. And then my own family lost their homes, you know? Yeah. And then I, I was like, you know, I always talk about it. I say, you can tell me that a few bad people made a few, or not bad people, but a few people made a few bad decisions right economically that led them to you know not having things that they they need not not to have their essentials but you cannot tell me that an entire city just made bad decisions as individuals making bad decisions that is something else that's predatory i didn't understand what predatory lending was before that mm. right so when i see people losing homes i'm like what is happening this doesn't make any sense yeah. my family what is happening like they, I, my family's not reckless like what is happening you know mm. Um, and then and then the auto industry collapsed. And I was hearing phrases from politicians that say they didn't say this, but they were saying things like, you know, let Detroit go bankrupt, <laughs> you know, right. and like Mitt Romney says, I didn't say that. Well, you said something that made everybody hear let Detroit go bankrupt. Whatever you said, we all heard let Detroit go bankrupt. Yeah. And, and I just never forget that because I was thinking, wow, why would you say that? Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about when you're when you're thinking of Detroit and the auto industry? What are you picturing? Because you're not picturing my aunt who worked triple overtime and got narcolepsy for overworking in the factory. You're not picturing my grandfather who gave his life and his blood to this to this and was proud, a proud union man. Mm. You're not thinking about like the majority of my family. I'm I'm one of the few that has not worked in the factory. Yeah. You know, and so um I just thought, man, you, you got you got us wrong. And I need to understand. I need to understand this from my own human level. As a theater maker, I wanted to see a factory on a stage. Yeah. I wanted to see what I know, the Detroit factory on a stage, you know? And uh, and I wanted the sound of my city that sounds like my era, which was a, a Jay Dilla is one of our legendary hip hop producers. Yeah. And I wanted, like, he has a whole album, you know, of, that's inspired by factory sound. You know, and I was like, that's that sound. I want that hip hop factory sound mm. in my show, um, which is how my husband came on board to be the one to bring that sound. Yeah, he's a musician it. himself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Keys. So, yeah. yeah, so so that was that for me, Skeleton Crew was born out of mm. um, my experience of my city in 2008 and seeing like something get broken but also knowing and, and helping us find a way out of it by reminding us of who we are, mm -hmm. what resilient, compassion, humanity that I have always known Detroit to have. Yeah. Uh, those of us in New York first saw the play 
five or six years ago now uh, at the Atlantic yeah. Theater Company. At what, six years. Yeah, 2016, right? Um, yeah. At what point did a conversation start about bringing it to Broadway? And what made you interested in revisiting it again? The play, I mean. Yeah, well, so a few things. I mean, Ruben and I, yeah. Ruben Santiago Hudson, my director. Yeah, who directed Extraordinaire. Both, both the first production and this, uh, and this, this one, Broadway production. Yep, yep. That's right. He and I, we just, you know, when we did it in 2016, we just did not feel done. Mm. You know, we were just like, it wasn't, we just, we didn't, we weren't, we didn't, it didn't go long enough. It didn't get enough eyeballs on it. We believed in it so much, you know. And then it got, it got, uh, it was, um, what do you call it? <laughs> oh, extended. Yeah, it got oh, yeah. a, like an extended run um, and moved to the main stage, oh, right. you know, at Atlantic Theater. Mm. Um, and and like a couple of months later in 2016, but at that time, I had had a life saving surgery, and I was I was out. I was down for the count, mm. so I did not see that run. I wasn't here. I missed. It's very visible. I came for the last day. You know, mm -hmm. and I missed the whole run of my extended run of my show on the main stage. So we both feel robbed from something from that time. Right. And so we, we've always felt that way. We've always been like, man. And, and we were also, you know, we could have gone to Broadway then and we didn't. And we always felt like we should have, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so uh, so when it came time in 2020 and, and my show was available and the rights were available and Ruben took a new position at MTC. Right. Uh, as the artistic advisor, we felt like let's do this, you know. And and Lynn Meadow and I have she's been she's been trying to get me over there. Stephen Kyle's we've been trying to work together for a while, so mm -hmm. we were like, let's do Skeleton Crew like right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, because one, we wanted to be back together, but but two, for me, I was like, this is the play to do right now. This is the play about essential workers. Mm -hmm. This is the play about essential workers. Yeah. You know, and we need to be putting their their faces on stages right now. Yeah. Uh, you have worked with Ruben on both this show and other shows of yours. I feel like it is not insignificant that he also has a very deep uh, relationship with August Wilson and his work. I feel like that. Yeah. What do you feel like he, what makes you two a good fit? Man, <laughs> um, so many things. I love Ruben. Mm. You know, we, we have respect for each other. Mm. Uh, we have a deep, he has a deep respect for me. I, I obviously have a deep respect for him as the legend mm. that he is and that he has contributed to our field, just enormous work, um, that he is so close to August Wilson and was um, chosen, you know, mm -hmm. by August in many ways to be an ambassador for his work. I just, I feel like he understands he understands the rhythm and the blues of the characters that I write. Uh, I mean, he understands them intimately you know mm -hmm. um he uh he's a and he's also people don't know this but he's an adopted son of detroit mm -hmm. ruben spent time in detroit he went to school in detroit a lot of detroiters know ruben um you know he knows things about our neighborhoods and our communities that other directors of mine just don't know mm -hmm. you know he he's really he's 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 deeply embedded in the city and so uh and so he's the right one. I mean, I knew it from I just knew it. Yeah. I just knew he was the right one to do Paradise Blue when we did it at Signature Theater. We right. did it at Williamstown. I knew he was the one. Cuz I was like this is this man this is in the tradition of August Wilson. Even yeah. though I don't I don't consider my plays um in any way shape or form 
uh, Wilsonian. Mm. <laughs> they are, they are, they're Dominican, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but they are, but they are, um, but they, I, I would be denying the truth if I didn't say I was writing in his tradition yeah. and in the tradition of so many great women writers, Pearl Clegg, mm. you know, who wrote Blues for an Alabama Sky and Flying West. I write in her tradition and that's a Detroit woman whose father was a legend in, in the city of Detroit. So I write in the tradition of the people that I was reading and growing up on and who I saw myself in their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ruben is like a, you know, he's a mentor of mine. And it's a, we, we bring a lot of generational um, fullness to our work because he, he speaks for his generation. I speak for mine. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, and we listen to the ones after. We always have someone in the room representing another generation, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think between all of that, we just get a really full time. He understands my vernacular like like no one I know. Yeah. He hears it. He dreams it. You know, this man calls me at like five, six in the morning with like visions. <laughs> you know, and I see his and I'm like, dude, I do not wake up before eight o'clock. Come on. <laughs> you know, and then I got a baby and I'm like, okay, I don't wake up before like seven thirty. Yeah. Still not getting up. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, but he's uh he's just he's a he he's a visionary. Yeah. You started to talk a little bit about this uh, with the music for Skeleton Crew, but music in general plays a significant role in your writing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how it functions, how you feel it, you tend to use it in your writing? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm a lover of music. Mm-hmm. I grew up on it. You know, it's by the Temptations music. I, I grew yeah. up on that. You know, I just like I can, I can hear certain music um, in my mind, you know, even when there's none playing. And so um, I, when I write, I hear music, you know, and I often write to music. So I pick like soundtracks to write to. I used to do my homework to music. Like I just, you know what I mean? Some people can't write and have music playing. I'm the opposite. I I can write in silence, but I prefer not to. I prefer to have a vibe going Mm. because it gives me it puts me in a mood. It puts my my show, my story in a mood, you know. Um, and uh, and so for me, writing Skeleton Crew, you know, I I just would listen to Factory Sound. I was listening to hip hop, you know. I was listening to Detroit music of the era, um, and it was giving me a whole mood yeah. <laughs> when I was writing. Uh, yeah, and it always does. But I also say music is a clue to the era and the vernacular that you want to rewriting in. You know, it's like mm. when you listen to the music of a certain time, the colloquialisms of that era are in that music. Yeah. You know, you will you will pick up rhythm and language from music too. Mm. And you know, and we have to be careful because music is like we go back to the music. Go, well, what were someone? What did someone call someone that they liked back in this era? You yeah. know, you can listen to it in a song. So we have to be careful of the music we make because mm. <laughs> that's going to be a clue <laughs> to somebody in the future yeah. on how how we what how we thought about each other. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah well. And so, Skeleton Crew is currently scheduled to run through February. What's next on your plate? Uh, you know, so. Um, Right after Skeleton Crew, actually, mm. in the middle of Skeleton Crew, I'm, I start rehearsals on my play at the Signature. Yeah. Uh, Confederates. Yeah. And I'm very excited about that. Our associate director from Skeleton Crew is the director of Confederates. Her name is Story Ayers. Great. And she's my former student, turned mentee, turned assistant, turned now my mentor mm. <laughs> and friend. And uh, and just and, and one of the gurus of my work, I think. 
Mm. Uh, she's a, she's a phenomenal storyteller, and she has helped me understand my own writing. Mm way more deeply so i cannot wait to get in a room with her and michelle wilson who did detroit 67 with me is now going to be and who did sweat on broadway is now going to be doing um confederates with me Hmm. uh and i'm just and and so many other amazing artists that i cannot wait to get over there And, and and i love the story it's a little more it's a little more uh unconventional for me um a little more radical than my other plays i think um just in radical and structure radical and thought I just radical. And and I get excited about that because I'm ready to take risks and just, I never like to get stuck in a thing. I like to try something new. Confederates is about two, you know, two black women from two different eras. One is an enslaved rebel woman. Hmm. And the other one is a modern day contemporary progressive political science professor Hmm. um, at a predominantly white university. And it's about how both of these women are navigating institutions of racism Wow. And sexism and classism, um, and and the more the play goes on, the harder it is to tell the difference between which world is which, mm, you know. Wow. And uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's a satire. It's a lot mm. of doubling of casting going on, and it's just a, it's creatively a little a bit of a playground for yeah. us. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and you've also written for TV. Is that something you will continue to do? Do you think? Yeah, something I'm working on right now. I mean, I'm developing a project with HBO. I have, I have one with Netflix. And, you know, television, you just, you know, you always say, until things are on the air, yeah. you're just like, I'm developing. I'm just developing, you know. You know, you feel, you think you're feeling good and then, you know, it'll happen or maybe it won't. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a lot of things and I have a lot of uh, the late, great Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. our, our Black Panther forever, uh, told me when we were, he was reaching out to me in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um before the pandemic to, to, to partner with me on a project. And I was like, oh, Chad, I don't know. You don't have all these things. And he's like, Dominique, you always got to have nine irons in the fire. <laughs> and I was like, nine? That's a lot, Chad. Why? I, I, I don't know where he got that number, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was some part of numerology for Chad. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, um, and I was like, all right. I mean, nine sounds like a lot. I just, But then when I started counting over the last year and some channels, I was like, I got about nine, maybe 10. You mm-hmm. know? So like, yeah. Chad, thanks a lot. You oh, you made me overdo it. <laughs> but um, so I have so many things going on. Like, And I and I recognize that my job as, a, as an artist is to just be prolific. Just be prolific. And have stories and more and more stories to tell. Or I always say, I have a running queue of just mm. things I want to do. I, I haven't gotten half of them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm developing yeah. in TV. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. And so you've you've now been involved in these two shows that have gotten running on Broadway as it started up again after the lockdown. Um, and in the fall, you made a decision to pull a play of yours from the season of a theater over the way it handled a workplace situation. And I feel like altogether, these experiences must have given you a really unique perspective on how theater is operating differently and how it isn't these days. Um, and I wonder if you could just share with us any insights about how you think we're doing and what we still need to evolve further on. Oh God. Yeah. No, so loaded. That's a loaded one. Yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I just, I have a litany of things. Yeah. I don't want to seem like I just, I have a long list, <laughs> blah, 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 you know, but it is just, there's a lot. I mean, mm. I think 
the uh, Ruben always says this in our rehearsals. Mm. He's talking about our work on the play, but I, I feel like it applies to like our work in the world. He says, um, "Never be content. Contentment is your enemy." Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and so do not get comfortable. Do not get comfortable mm. and relax and feel like you've done the work. That means you haven't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that means there's more work. To, there's always work to do. And as soon as we get uh, feeling patting ourselves on the back, we've already failed. Yeah. So um, I think that we're in that place right now where we just we, we want to get back together to just be in theater so badly. Mm-hmm. We're just patting ourselves on the back for being here, yeah. you know, and for saying that we want progress. Mm-hmm. But the actual labor of making progress of, of creating change at your theater, that is that is going to require discomfort. Mm. And I don't think after a year, two years of discomfort, I don't think that we're really ready to come back into theater and get uncomfortable mm. in each other's presence. Um, but I, I the th- so I mean, I have a long, a lot of things that I could say that are, are needed, but the field is already saying it. Yeah. The field has been talking about it for two years now. Right. The field came out with, you know, so many testimonies and demands, so many demands from so many entities, you know, and, 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 you know, just or statements of just whatever. Yeah. Um, there's so much activism and, and, and so much labor has already been done. I would be remiss to be re- repetitive, right? Mm. Maybe my, my biggest thing would be saying, instead of running from those things, listen to those things. Mm. Listen to them. If it makes you uncomfortable, good. It should. It should not. Change is not a comfortable thing. Change should not make you feel happy every step of the way that you're getting gold stars. Mm. You know, change is radical and and uncomfortable and and emotional. Um, And it will and it should hurt a little bit to get to something better. You know, no, no. Comfortable people never do extraordinary things. Mm. So we have to be uncomfortable. Um, I would say lean into those things. And I would say, um, get out of this desire to get back to normal. Mm. Um, if you can build a new reality, I would. I, I think what we're going to need is imagination. Find mm. the people who are not afraid to say, I don't want to do it that way anymore. Mm. I don't want to do, it's as simple as, you know, I look at all of the shows this season um, that are taking falls and I go, what, how many of these shows had a, a different way of producing? Right. Mm. Yeah. I can think of one, you know, mm. um, but I, how many of them had a different way of producing, had a different kind of audience in mm-hmm. their space mm-hmm. consistently, and it wasn't a, a ploy or it wasn't a specialized night. Mm. It was a consistent thing, right? How many of you are doing that? How Are you changing the people that you're working with, the people you do contracts with? Are you adding new people into these contracts you know are you thinking hey we already go with this marketing agency or we always use this ad agency how about we use one from over here how about we get one from uptown Mm. how about we get one from downtown or brooklyn right like maybe we can get our minds out of the the block radiuses that cover broadway and start looking into deeper into communities where there's been work happening and will continue to be work happening and 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 galvanize those people, engage those people. I don't. I think if we're not gonna do things radically, we just might as well go. Just say we're not gonna try to change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just uh, otherwise, just say you know we're not that interested in changing. We're interested in just doing things normally. 
And then let us all know where we stand, because I think then a lot, the rest of us who want change are going to have to make some really clear decisions mm. on whether or not we're going to be able to do this this way. Yeah. You know, let us know the truth. But don't. But what, what I want to say is don't lie. Don't say you want change and then be willing to only do nothing mm. and make no sacrifice in order to get it. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that impulse to uh, not be afraid to take risks connects for me with what you were saying about your own work and trying new things with Confederates, for instance, and yeah. trying not to um, rest on uh, something that might be more comfortable. So, um, yeah. well, uh, we look forward to seeing Confederates and all your nine other irons in the fire. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's like, I guess, you know, what I realized it's like, oh, have nine because eight will burn out. <laughs> right. Sure. sure. Well, one of them you That's can see I'm right learning. now, a skeleton crew on Broadway right now, Confederates coming up soon and then more to come. Yes. Um, thanks right. so much, Dominique. It was great speaking with you. And lovely to speak with you too. Thank you. Thanks. That was Dominique Morisseau, whose play Skeleton Crew is now at the Friedman Theater on Broadway, while the Temptations musical Ain't Too Proud is on tour in the U.S. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend about Stagecraft, or give us a shout-out on social media. Find past episodes and subscribe on all the pod places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.